people, before we get to today's show, I wanted to share some really exciting news. As part of the NYC PodFest, the Theater People Podcast will be having our first live show. The event is being held on January 11, 2015 at 5.30 p.m. at Fontana's Bar in New York City. Our guest for this live event will be the amazing, beautiful, talented, hilarious, two-time Tony nominee, our friend Laura Osnes. Tickets are only $10, and there's only 100 of them. They're going fast already, so head over to our website where you'll find the link to buy tickets. We're at theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. We hope to see all of you there. Things are happening every day. Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to episode 26 of the Theater People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. Today's guest, Mary Testa, has 12 Broadway credits, over 26 off-Broadway credits, two Tony nominations, two Obie Awards, and a Drama Desk for her over three decades of outstanding work in the New York theater. In addition to all of this, she's created and performed her solo shows and cabarets and has thrived as a recording artist. She's here today to talk to us about her new album, Have Faith, which is a collaboration with Tony-winning orchestrator Michael Starobin, and to take a little trip down memory lane as we discuss some of her career highlights and find out exactly how she's been able to sustain such an incredible, lengthy career. We're so excited to have her on the podcast. Here's our conversation. You can count on me to meet you I will be the first to greet you on the other side. Mary Testa! Hi. What an honor and a pleasure to have you on our little podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's Welcome a, to an people. honor for me. Thank oh, you. Oh, please. It's so, it, I feel like we've been talking about trying to get you on the podcast for like months and months and months. Maybe really? you don't know, but I've been like, what are we going to get? Mary Testa. Oh, that's nice. I Everybody like that. always talks about you. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> I hope they talk about me nicely. No, uh-uh. No, I know. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm a pot stirrer. <laughs> so first and foremost, you're here to tell us about your new CD, Have Faith, mm-hmm. which is out now from Ghostlight Records. I just listened to the whole thing yesterday. Loved it. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, you know, this is, Michael Starobin and I have worked together since basically 1978, 77, 78, uh, when we first met on in Trousers. And we have a very similar musical taste and sensibility. And this is... This album is our basically the fourth show, the last show that we put together. We always put together these shows. Um, so I guess you could call them cabaret, although they're really left of center. They're mm-hmm. not really cabaret. They're not really American Songbook. Um, and so this is our last show that we did at, at 54 Below. We did a performance, uh, two performances there, and then we did um, uh, we did a one night benefit for transport group of this show. I had a friend who came to that and said, "Oh, I would love to hear this recorded." And I said, "Yeah, we would too, but you know, we're not going to do that because it's a lot of money." And she said, "I'll do it," and it's a spectacular thing. So this is actually we always put together shows. What our interest is, is putting together disparate music that all makes sense as a whole. Interesting. Or music that schematically or chordally is similar, 
um, but completely different, as in the case on the album of a mashup, if you want to call it, of a Bjork song and a Rodgers and Hammerstein song. So, um, what's that song called? It's the Bjork is called "Unravel," and the Rodgers and Hammerstein song is "If I Loved You." And it's quarterly, they're the same, um, which interests me. So, uh, so Michael and I have a very uh, kind of different kind of taste. We're a very eclectic and this album really shows that. While you are away my heart comes undone slowly unravels in a book of yarn the devil collects it with the grin Every time we do a show, we do like three electronic songs in the show. Michael loves to do electronic orchestrations. And this show started out as kind of us saying, well, let's just put all our electronic stuff together. And then it all sort of resonated. And um, so it's also sweetened beautifully with string sections and various, there's like, I think, 13 musicians on this, as wow. well as Michael's electronic arrangements. So... Um, uh, that's what it is. And there's so many like interesting sounds, you know, like there's Michael, man. Yeah. He's, he's a genius. He's the best. He's, he's an incredible orchestrator, you know, for Broadway, but he's also really experimental and he loves doing this. And, you know, Michael's just the greatest. And he's won like several Tony awards. Yeah. He's won a few, um, yeah. for, I believe, um, uh, next to normal. Yes, he won. Yeah. And I think, Sunday? No, Sunday. Yeah, in the park? yeah, yeah. Sunday, Sunday in the park. Yeah, yeah. That's right. He's, he's which was his like first gig. Yeah, he's extraordinary. He really. Yeah. No, his first gig was actually Bill Finn. It was in Trousers. Oh right. Yeah. I, maybe I was thinking first like Broadway gig. Yeah, it was probably his first Broadway or one of his first Broadways. He's he's just really one of the best, and I'm honored to have him as a friend and work with him. And you know, he's just the greatest. Yeah. So you're doing um, a series of performances of the new CD yes, at the Lori Beachman at the Lori Beachman Theater, January fourth, fifth. 11th and 12th, all shows at 7 p.m. We will be selling the albums and signing the albums. Sometimes it snows in April. Sometimes I feel so Never last. And all good 
I didn't really know how to approach this interview because your career is so like long and fabulous and you've done everything from like Broadway to off-Broadway and yeah, some cabaret and tours and everything. And No, I've never been on tour. Oh, you've never been on tour? Never. I'm not interested in being out on, on Did the you? Was it Love Lost and What I Wore? Did you just do that like I did sit it, down somewhere? Uh, yeah, we, I did it off-Broadway. And mm-hmm. then they did their first regional production at the Oslo Theater. And because it was oh. uh, great, you know, I love the Oslo. It's comfortable there and it's warm and it's, you know, Florida. And I don't generally work out of town, but that was a gig that was too good to pass up. So I yeah. did it there as well. Okay, my mistake. No problem. Um, so I was thinking, like, just in going through all of your stuff, that you've worked with all of these not just worked with these incredible composer lyricist teams but you've been with them from the beginning of your career and from the beginning of their career and I thought maybe we could talk about some of that stuff sure I'd love to I feel very lucky Um, you know I like interesting different I never this is also a long story but I never intended to go into musical theater so I don't really I never really had a musical theater background when I came to the city and so I started working with Bill Finn right away because I met him when I was in college so I love music and I love theater but not necessarily musical theater so um working with people with fresh voices is really um a love of mine and i just am very lucky that i knew bill and also michael john and um you know i'm just lucky that i got to work with them yeah i i wanted to talk a bit about in trousers one two one two three one two three four and for people who don't know what In Trousers is, you know, it, it's sort of the beginning of what became known as the Marvin Trilogy. Yeah, yeah. It's the beginning of that whole story. And then uh, this, the second two pieces of that trilogy went on to become falsettos. Right. But In Trousers really, like, deals with a man sort of coming to terms with his sexual, being gay. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Totally. And the women, sort of the sort of satellites around him and the influences around him, yeah. So that was, like, 1979, I think, when it was yeah, finally off Broadway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to... Go to Bill's apartment, me, Allison Frazier, and a woman named Kay Pesek, who's, I don't think, any longer in the business. Um, and the three of us know him from different places, and we all met him when we were in our teens. And then when we all moved to New York, around the same time, we just started working with Bill singing in his apartment. And In Trousers came about because we had a list of songs that we had all worked on. Bill, you know writing and, you know, on scraps of paper, and we wrote all the harmonies. Watch me, I'm counting on your prayers to get me by. Well, my arms disappear, my legs. And we presented this list of songs a few times with, like, wine and cheese at Bill's apartment, and uh, Playwrights Horizons, Ira Weitzman specifically picked it up. So, um, yeah, it was really the first, and Bill was such a fresh an incredible voice um, that no one had ever heard before. So it sort of started from there. I'm so curious about how in 1979 it was to work on a piece like that. Was it? Did it feel revolutionary to you guys? You know, or? no. It just felt like what we were used to doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's what what we all loved and we enjoyed doing and we were friends and you know that's what we were working on so no it didn't feel revolutionary like I said I had no musical theater background so to me it was just what made sense Mm -hmm. it was revolutionary to everyone else and when we first did the show at Playwrights Horizons we did it in the studio theater Bill played Marvin Um, and then we they moved us down to the main stage and that's where Chip Zion came in as Marvin so um, you know it 
I guess it was revolutionary, but it was just what we were doing, you know. Yeah. I wanted to talk about, like, two of your big songs from that show. Sure. Uh, I'm Wearing a Hat and... Set those sails. Set those sails, exactly. (laughs) So it seems like you had sort of a hand in like writing these songs. Um, Bill wrote them, but we we did all the we wrote all the harmonies and any kind of riffing or any of that stuff was was for me was me. Mm -hmm. Um, But Bill really wrote them. But it was really a collaborative effort on many fronts. Uh, Bill was the man who composed, but. we had a we had a lot of input. Have those songs sort of been like calling cards for you throughout your? You know, apparently, um, I've sung "Set Those Sails" a number of times. Uh, I just recently sung it because they were honoring. I hosted with David Hyde Pierce the um, Playwrights Horizons Gala this past when I was a couple of months ago, whenever it was, and um, but they were honoring Bob Moss, who Bob is the person who really. Um, Put 42nd Street, the 42nd Street theaters on the map. I mean, he was the um, he was Playwrights Horizons kind of founder, and um, uh, they were honoring Bob. And Bob's request it, it was actually a surprise for Bob, but he was like, "Oh, if I could just hear set those sails." I read this really interesting thing that you were talking about, how, like, in, I believe it was 1980, you were sort of faced with your first, like, art versus commerce decision. That's exactly right. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Not at all. I was, um, I had a friend who was a production assistant on Barnum. um, The Cy Coleman show, yeah. Cy Coleman, Joe Layton directing Barnum, and they were, two weeks before they opened, they were auditioning for swings and understudies, and my friend called me, it was a Saturday morning, and she was like, "Come, come up here, and I said, I don't a swing. Uh, no, I, I'm not interested. And for some reason, she talked me into it, and I went up for the audition. It was completely, like, crazy. But I ended up getting it. Um, and I was working on March of the Falsettos at the time, the workshop of March of Falsettos. Which was the, the second in the, in the yeah, trilogy. Yeah, which was the second after In Trousers, which was the next step for from In Trousers. And I was... We were working on that for basically $75 a week at Playwrights Horizons. And... Here I was presented with a broad, my first Broadway show that paid at the time four hundred dollars a week, which <laughs> was a lot of money to me then. And um, I just I didn't want to leave, and I had really, to tell you the truth, no interest in being a swing uh, or an understudy <laughs> at Barnum. But you know, I thought I'm moving to the city to become an actor, and I want to pay my bills by being an actor, not being a waiter, and 
And so I chose Barnum, and it was very painful for me to do it. Um, it was Bill was really angry at me, and um, but it turned out that my character from In Trousers, Miss Goldberg, had no place in the March of the uh, Falsettos um, saga, and so it actually turned out to be you know what it was supposed to be. So. Um, and that, that your part was ultimately cut. Yeah, right? she yeah. had no place in the saga. You know, she was of the time of in trousers, but she did not belong in March of the Falsettos. And as the story continued, she didn't belong. So, I mean, he did try with other actors, but um, oops, but it um, <laughs> I hit the mic, but um, uh, it just ultimately she had no place. So it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. But it was the first time, and it's happened to me a number of times in my career, and a lot of people, I'm sure, it's happened to them too where you have to choose something you don't really want to do but you need to pay bills and um that was the first time for me yeah yeah what do you say to act- to actors when they're faced with that decision i mean you f- uh, clearly you made the right choice well you know i made the ch- i don't know i guess i did you know because of the character but um you know i don't know what to say it's a real individual thing and you have to go with your gut and you have to go with your current status and whether you want to um, take a chance, be poor. I mean, it's hard. It's just yeah. hard. It's those decisions are just really difficult. It's so wonderful when it all coincides and when you get to do the work you love to do and you're actually paid for it. Um, but that's not always the case. So I had to ask you one other question about Barnum, which was that you were technically understudying Terry White. I was <laughs> the understudy for the one black role in the show. You guys, Mary Test is not black. No. Uh, haven't been, never have been, although... Uh, there was you know, that one weekend. <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad thing, but... Um, no, no, I, I, I know. I was the... Sw- you know, that they hired me because I could sing it. It was very low, and I could sing it. And they thought, oh, she'll learn the rest. But I told them on the stage that day, look, you don't want to hire me. I don't do any of this stuff. I, I don't go up in the air. I don't do cartwheels. I don't do this stuff. And they hired me anyway, so... <laughs> It's That's, quite an interesting. It seems to be the way we have so many people on this on this show who like try to talk people out of. I tried to them. talk them out of it, yeah, because I was doing, I was happy doing March of the Falsettos, but you know, that it was no go. They hired me. But you guys fixed it. You came back together. You... Oh, yeah. We're fine. I mean, we're friends, and we've been friends since I'm 19 years old, so that's a long time. And, you know, I love Bill, and um, he's a dear friend, and I always will. So yeah. whether he uses me or not, I'll still love Bill. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's my friend. So, And you, the next collaboration, as I understand, was A New Brain. Uh, yeah, I guess. New Brain is that show that, like, my husband loves. It was a great experience. It wasn't, I don't think, I, I stopped reading reviews by that time, but I don't think it was critically received as well. But people loved it and associated with it. So, you know, that, you can't, if it touches someone, then it works. You know what I mean? That's what art is. It, if it touches you, if you're affected by it, then it's your art. Yeah. You know, it's the kind of art for you. So There was one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Infinite Joy. I wanted oh, to yeah. ask you about the album Infinite Joy because it's another album my husband introduced me to. Oh. It was a celebration of Bill Finn's Yeah, music. it was his music at Joe's Pub. It was live. It was recorded live. And I had worked with this producer. His name is Jay. He was fantastic. He encouraged me to just banter with Bill. He was like, if you're going to say anything, make sure you're on the mic. I'm depressed tonight, Bill. I'm afraid to ask why. (laughs) So I intend to infuse my music 
with pathos. It's like a frat party in here. I don't think so. Well, you know the special frats. Mary's going to be singing a song from Romance and Hard Time, where she's playing a socialite. This bitch won't sing the introduction. Because, because she didn't learn it that way. When she learned it, it did not have an introduction. Subsequently, an introduction has been written. Mary will not sing the introduction. We hope you enjoy this truncated version of all folders. To cap off sort of your friendship and your your working with Bill, when you were presented with your drama desk in 2012. Yeah, so they had. Like, well, Billy, um, oh, God, here's another name I'm not going to remember. It's terrible. He used to produce show tunes. Uh, he wrote the drama desk. Oh. The evening, the drama desk evening. And he said it would be great if Bill uh, presents her with the award. So he, he did. That and was that was lovely. Amazing. Yeah, it was a great night. Well, another another team that you worked with early on was Aaron's and Flaherty. Yeah, I did their Stiff. first show. Yeah, Lucky Stiff. Yeah. So much fun. For people who don't know what Lucky Stiff is, I kind of describe it as like um, Weekend at Bernie's meets Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But it was first. Yes, exactly. It was first. Yeah. yeah. They, it's based on the, the man who wrote The Bank at Monte Carlo. Right. The yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted, we recently um, interviewed Andy Carl from uh-huh. Rocky and Margot yeah. Seibert. And then we also interviewed LaShawn's from Once on the Island. So I'm curious about um, about working with them on their very first thing. I mean, how was it to work with them on they that? They were adorable. You know, they're just nice people, and it was great fun. I got really sick during that. It was really hard. Um, I got real sick. Like, I have had every kind of itis there was. Oh, no. Bronchitis, laryngitis, everything. And uh, so I missed a bunch um, of performances. And, you know, when you're off-Broadway, you don't have an understudy, so, um, you know. Uh, what happened? Uh, they brought in, Tommy Walsh directed it, and they brought in Priscilla Lopez. No way. And she held a script and she did it. Um, she's the best. And, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I needed to rest. and uh, But it was really fun. Again, another show that I don't think was received as well as it should have been, but... Yeah, well, I I was listening to the album the other day, mostly listening to your stuff, because Steve was, my husband was saying that, you know, Aaron's and Flaherty, like, they're, one of their calling cards is that they write these really complicated songs that are really, they make really easy to understand. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Rita's Rita's Confession is a really fun, yeah. I think my favorite part of that song is your laugh. Oh, really? This is just one part where I... Oh, that's me. Like the nervous laugh. (laughs) (laughs) British shoe salesman inherits $6 million from casino manager uncle. I don't get it. Let me start at the beginning. I was having an affair. An affair. An affair. And my lover's name was Tony. Tony. Handon. He managed my husband's casino. He wore a tux. I went crazy for the guy, which is why. Which is why. I embezzled from my husband. Not your husband. We stole from my husband's casino six million bucks. No. And 
for my lover who I accidentally shot. What? Well, the, the last like sort of writer-composer I wanted to talk to you about, of course, is Michael John McCusa, who you worked with on See What I Want to See. Yeah, the first thing I did with him was Marie Christine. That was first, okay. Yeah, that was in 98. Um, actually, I did a workshop of um, Marie Christine, which was a brilliant, oh my God, it was just an unbelievable experience. In 97, I was doing... Uh, forum at the time and took mm-hmm. a seven I think it was seven weeks or was it then I don't yeah uh, a little bit of a leave of absence to do the workshop and then in 98 we did it at Lincoln Center yeah yeah and that's sort of like a modern day Medea it's totally a, well it's a, a Medea set in uh, New Orleans yeah a voodoo version of Medea and it's the music is so beautiful it's extraordinary that score well I, you know I think Michael John is like I know the term is used all the time, but he's truly a genius. His scores are spectacular, difficult, interesting, um, musically just phenomenal. I, I I think he's just underrated and a genius. Why do you think he hasn't quite broke? I saw Giant last I year. I think people get mad that they have to actually um, work mm-hmm. when you go and see. You have to lean forward when you go and see Michael John's pieces. And the, a lot of musical theater, you just kind of sit back and let it wash over you. Michael John's, you have to be an active part of. And I think people, and frankly, I think people are jealous. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. That he's just so good. That he's just so deep and so prolific and so talented. And I don't think anybody can wrap their brain around it. You know, this business is, um, it's very interesting. I mean, you've been in, and when I've been for a long time, I've been in New York really for 38 years and working and you know, you see things that get glorified and you go, wow, that's so dumb. Mm-hmm. And then you see something like Michael John's piece and, and they and critics, you know, they kind of trash it with because I, I don't think they understand it, really. And so it's, it's really hard um, to take, but I say... You know, just keep moving forward. You know, just keep moving forward. And didn't the psychic tell you that? Uh, I feel like I read somewhere that you went. I to- did. I went to a, a long time ago an astrologist who said to me, "Sweetie, the key to your business is <laughs> persistence," <laughs> and it is. I mean, it really is. And I, I feel like um, I just recently um, the gentleman that writes for Playbill reviewed the album. Oh, Ben Rimmelauer? No, no, but no, not him. He's adorable. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Stephen something. Uh huh. Suskin. Uh huh. Something lovely. A very nice review, but I think he. He used the word um, off-kilter like about seven times to describe my vocals and Michael's orchestrations. And I kept saying, off-kilter, man. And uh, I looked it up because I thought I knew what off-kilter meant, which I didn't think was a, a, a compliment. But it actually means unexpected, not as usual. And um, I'll take that because that's what I would like my career to be. That's the kind of work I would like to do is I don't – I want to confound people. I mean everybody will put you in a box and say, oh, you, you do that loud s- stuff. you know. But I do a lot, and I want to keep confounding people so they don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what I want to do. So You know, it's interesting that you say that because – so where I was going with the Michael John LeCuse is that he wrote a show for you. He 
did. He wrote a beautiful show for Queen me. Queen of the Mist, which... It was actually Jack Cummings' idea. He There's a book that's like all poetry about Anna Edson Taylor, who was the first woman to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel of her own design in the early 1900s. Um, she was a brilliant woman who was ignored, basically, um, which is not so far off from what's going on these days. But... Yeah. Um, uh, she was the first person to do it successfully. And, and she was like in her 60s. Yes, she was. And we became fascinated by the tale um, Jack gave us. We were working on See What I Want to See in Williamstown when Jack gave us the book. And um, I cried for three days. Wow. I totally, I still can't talk about the show without crying. Um, there's something about uh, of being an underdog that people ignore that is really... Um, just really satisfying and horrific to me. Green foam and thunder, Jack said, I think you should write this for Mary, and Michael John did. And it's a glorious, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in the theater. Yeah, and it was your first lead. Yeah. Which, it's so interesting, because I did the math, I counted. You had, at that point, okay, I'm going to do this from the top of my head. Oh, wow. uh, You had 12 Broadway credits, 24 off-Broadway credits, 26 later, two Tony nominations, two Obie Awards, a drama desk, and I was reading about... No, I didn't have the drama desk yet. Oh, you? Oh, that was that no, was that very year. No, I had four year. drama desk nominations. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so close. And you know what? They didn't. You know, and I'll tell you why. I think they gave me a drama desk because um, if they had just nominated me, I never would have won because Audra was in the category. Right. You just don't win if you're up against Audra. Right. Audra will win all the time. So, um, you know, they were like, "Let's give her one." Because, you know. <laughs> well, I read this thing where you like when you found out that you were not that you were getting that drama desk. It was an maybe you could tell the story about you. Like it took you 20 minutes to figure out what yeah, had happened. Yeah, I was in. Um, I was going. So where was I going? I was in. Um, I was in uh, Grand Central Station, and, and a friend of mine called and said that I was getting calls that were congratulating me, and I I said, "Oh, okay." And my friend Byron called and said, "Congratulations!" And I said, "Yeah, you know, I nominated. It was nice to be nominated. I, I think I should have been nominated because that was a you know it was kind of a, a great show." And and he was like, "No, no, no, you weren't nominated." And I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" You were not, you're not, you're just getting a drama desk. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? I couldn't hear. There were people all around me. And I was like, (laughs) what are you talking about? And I was buying a newspaper. And he said, you're just getting a special award. And so I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. So it took about 20 minutes for it to sink in. Yeah. And it was like a special award for like 30 years of amazing work. Well, you know why? Because I've been nominated four times and mm-hmm. I'm never, you know, I'm just never win. And, you yeah. know, Michael John and I go and laugh because like here we are again, which is, it's a great, don't get me wrong. It's a great honor to be nominated, but we always go and lose. And, and so, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, here we go again, you know, yeah. kind of thing. I got to get a dress, you know. Um, so it was beautiful. It was when it all sunk in, it was a great, great thing. Well, it was so interesting to, in reading about your time with that show, you were talking about how like 
with all of those accolades and all of that career behind you, you were you kind of at least I had read that you sort of felt like you were letting people really see what you could do. Some of some of it for the first time. Yeah, totally, totally. You know, as a character actor, and I I don't think of myself. I mean, I think of myself as an an actor. Period. Um, you know, that can do lots of things. But the way this business is set up, and to much to my chagrin, um, characters are always relegated to these sort of little supporting things that are great and wonderful but you know I want to see character actors play leads more I want to see uh, I've said this forever as a matter of fact I'm on record as Rick McKay's one of his um, uh, DVDs I'm on record as saying this um, you know we do this we go through the same things like pretty people go through <laughs> we fall in love and we get hurt and we have triumphs and we do all that stuff but we're never allowed to play those leads and I um I hate that. I really do. I wish we were more like foreign films. Mm-hmm. I wish we were cast more like foreign films here in New York. It would be interesting to me. I used to scream at my agents, not scream at them, but I'd say, <laughs> why do the soaps only have pretty people on them? Why? Because I had auditioned years and years ago for a soap, uh, for a, uh, a role on a soap, and they were like, we want somebody funny like Mary, but so pretty. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, you know, how revolting. And um, he said, because people don't. People want to escape, you know. They want to think that their lives are not as good or whatever. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but... I think you're gorgeous. Oh, you're very sweet, but, you know, in the strata of the theater casting thing, no, they don't. They think of me as kind of like a bridge troll who, you know, so, you know, which is, you know, it's fine. I've made sort of peace with it, but I want to see it be different. And so getting to, I mean, and, and Anna Edson Taylor was not classically beautiful by any means. I mean, she was just Described, she's described horribly in the piece as like a horse's face and all of this stuff. And I'm like, Michael John, thanks, you know, thanks so much. But uh, the, but the truth is, you know, she was a brilliant woman, and I don't think that has a, you know, a pretty or a not pretty to it. That I must fall, that I may die, that I must die, that I may live. So I will fall, that I may die, and die. How was the experience of carrying a show for you? It was, was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I mean, you know, I'm used to coming on and being supporting and then going off, you know, and having maybe one thing to sing or two things to sing and, and going off. It was fantastic to be the person who did all the talking and yeah. all the singing. Well, I was wondering about that. I mean, is it something that you can just do? Like like going from having one song in a show to like singing in almost every song on yeah, the show? Yeah, I mean, you know, you work on it as a piece. And yeah, I'm, it was not easy because... The music is tough. It, Michael John will challenge you when he writes for you. He will challenge you from the very lowest of your low to the very highest of your high and include it all in there. And he did with Queen of the Mist. And, um, you know, it's always challenging. I was very proud of myself that I did 50 of those shows. Um, it, it wasn't easy. And, um, I mean, it was easy because it was beautiful and I loved it. But, you know, it was work and I had to be very diligent and... I had to warm up. I never warm up. I had to warm up every night. That is saying something. I have never in my life warmed up. Julia Murney gave me a warm-up tape, and I warmed up every night. And uh, it was a joy to be on stage with that 
beautiful company and all of us working together. I mean, it was just a joy. Yeah. A joy. Yeah. It's, it's such, it's such beautiful music. Um, I wanted to ask you just a couple of general questions, if sure. you don't mind. No. <clears throat> when, so as we said, you've been doing this for, you know, 30 plus years now. Yeah. 38. Well, yeah. 38. Mm-hmm. Goodness. When did I you know. know that you could make a living doing this? Well, you know, I was young and <laughs> I just, this is what I decided I was going to do when I was like 16. I, I, I've said this before too. I was like, should I be a lawyer or should I be an actor? <laughs> And then I thought, eh, I've just go to school a really long time if I'm a lawyer. Eh, I'll be an actor. <laughs> and so, you know, I just kind of put blinders on and went forward, and that's kind of how I've approached everything. I've never planned anything. I've just kind of moved forward. When I first moved to New York, I had to work a job for like three years, a regular job, first as a cashier and then a waitress at a restaurant called the U.S. Steakhouse, which is in the Time Life, build, Time, uh, Time Life Building on 50th Street. And um, it was a union waiter job. It was a great job. So you that, know, if you're not if you're not a waiter in New York, you don't know what it means to be like uh, a, a union waiter a, job. Is like the eighth. I don't even know if they still. I guess they, they still do. But it's like twenty bucks an hour. Yeah, plus. and also, well, then it was a completely different story. But we basically, I worked the lunch shifts, and we basically um, serviced all of the people from CBS, so the executives. So it was a good job, and it, and we made at the time really good money, and. Um, I got a six-week workshop, a Stuart Ostro-funded workshop of um, that every week we put together a new musical review. And it was six weeks, and it was $100 a week. And I went to my bosses, who really didn't like me because I'm loud and I have opinions, <laughs> and they were really um, sexu- you know, uh, sexist men. And um, I said, can I get a leave of absence? They were like, no, sorry. So I went to my waiter friends and said, you know, I don't know what to do. And they said, why, why did you move to the city? Did you move here to be a waiter or be an actor? And I said, to be an actor. So they said, well, you know what you got to do. So I quit. And I, after I worked that job, I never had to work another normal job again. Wow. So um, it was a leap into the darkness, and the net appeared. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was scary, but I knew that this is what I chose to do, and I had to do it. So... And now that I'm older, I'm like, wow, gee, sometimes I think, why did you become an actor, you know? (laughs) But I suppose this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You've had such an amazing career. I wanted to just lastly talk to you quickly about um, a little web series that you have been a part of called Jack Jack in in a Box. Box. Oh, my God, the brilliant Michael Cyril Christ. He's like my college buddy. He and I went to Emerson together. I love him so much. He's so, so brilliant. Great things are going to come out of that boy. And you turn on TV, and it's like whatever the best show on TV is that year, Michael's got like an, an episode of it. Oh yeah, he's you know? well he's just spectacular yeah. and, and a great guy and just really inventive and fun and um yeah, Jack in the Box was so much fun. And you so played his fun. mom. I played his faux mom. Yeah. He's a real mom, but yeah, yes. Yeah. I played his mom and Allison Fraser played my sister his aunt. And right. We got to do so many fun things. It yeah. was it was a great experience. I hope he writes something else. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's wonderful. Mary Testa, it has been such a pleasure and a privilege to speak to you. Thank you. Now, listen, everybody has to come and see the show. I'm going to repeat it. Please do. January 4th, 5th, 11th, and 12th at 7 p.m. at the Lori Beachman Theater at the West Bank Cafe. We will be singing our album, Have Faith, and also maybe adding a couple of new things in there. So please, everyone, come. It's going to be great. Tell us what, what what, what you want us to play out. Oh, from the album? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know. You pick what you like. Yeah? Yeah, you can pick whatever you want. All right. I'm going to pick something amazing to play us out. Okay, that'd be great. Thanks, Mary Tessa. Oh, thank you so much. Pink, like the bang on your cherry. For more theater people, check out our website where you'll find all of our episodes, including recent conversations with Lin-Manuel Miranda, Celia Keenan-Bolger, and Andrew Keenan-Bolger in separate episodes, Leslie Margarita, Laura Ostnis, Annalie Ashford, Anthony Rapp, and more. We're at www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. And just a friendly reminder that Theater People is having our first live show as part of the NYC PodFest. Laura Osnes is joining us for a chat. There'll be a performance by the hilarious Ellen Marsh. And we're going to have prizes and giveaways. You don't want to miss it. Tickets are only $10 and they're going fast. Click the link on our website for tickets. Theater People is produced by Vanya Arslanian, Mike Jensen, and me. Special thanks, as always, to BroadwaySpotted.com, Davenport Theatrical, Bradley Bean, Steve Tipton, the staff at Oswalds, and Ellen Marsh. We'll be back in two weeks with the incredible Tony Award-winning star of If Then, LaShawns. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. And I'm